Welcome to Future of Health with Providence St. Joseph Health here on Dash Radio. I'm your host, Julie Alexandria, bringing you the very latest in healthcare trends and news each week. And today we're joined by Mary Renoff and Kelby Johnson from Providence St. Joseph Health. And we'll be talking about using social media and influencer marketing to tell the healthcare story. Today we're also joined by special guest actor and stand-up comedian Michael Flowers Jr. and pro race car driver Cassie Gannis. Now, if you guys have any questions for our experts, throughout the show, feel free to submit them via our Twitter handle or our Facebook page while we're live here today. We can be found on Twitter at PSJH and also on Facebook under Providence St. Joseph Health. And don't forget to use the hashtag Future of Health so we know where to find those questions and comments. That's hashtag Future of Health. And we will definitely be on the lookout for those throughout the show. Let's get started first by welcoming to the show. Thank you so much for joining us in the Dash Radio studios today. Mary Renoff, thank you. You are the Executive Director of Influencer Strategy. What can you tell us about your role with PSJH? Well, thanks for having me, Julie. I'm really excited to be here. Um, You know, with PSJH, I oversee the social and influencer strategy for the system, um, which really, I guess if you're trying to make it simple, means that I make sure people know who we are, what we offer, and how to find us. Um, and we do that kind of in a, in a really fun way. We do authentic storytelling, we use social platforms. Um, because we're such a large organization and we're made up of so many different brands and organizations, it's really hard for people to find us sometimes. Um, so we really think it's important to build that visibility um, and to really tell the depth and breadth of what we offer across all of our states and all of our facilities. Um, and we do that through the social channels and the platforms, um, as well as through storytellers who have influence in those regions or that market or on that specific healthcare topic. Yeah. Is that challenging? Because I know you come from sports and entertainment as a background. So do you find the role to be kind of in common with the healthcare industry? Like what is that transition like? How difficult is that? Yeah, it's really interesting. I wondered actually when I, when I took this job, can I do storytelling in an authentic way in healthcare? And what I really found out is it's easier um, because you're not selling a video game. You're not really selling shoes or tickets to a sports game. You're selling a healthy lifestyle. Um, And the thing that we all have in common is health. Right? We all experience it, whether it's ourselves or our mothers or our children. Everybody's impacted by health every day. And that could be health because you have cancer diagnosis. It could be health because you need to lose five pounds. It could be that you need a baby, a well baby visit. Right, So everybody's impacted by it. And when you start talking about influencers, obviously everybody's impacted by that. Right, They're humans. They're real people. They just have a storytelling capability that's bigger than ours. Right, I can say, hey, um, you know, I'm going in for my, my uh, physical. People are like, great, thanks for sharing. Right, But if I'm a famous person and I say it, everybody wants to know, where did you go? What did you find out? What did they say? You know, So I think it's actually easier. Yeah, and it also brings a level of authenticity, right? Because as a celebrity, as a quote unquote influencer, you can say, oh yeah, these shoes are great. But then there's always that little mm-hmm. little feather mm-hmm. of doubt in the viewer's mind of, well, do they really like it? Are they being paid to say <laughs> they like it? But you're right, When it, you bring up a great point when it comes to health, that's something that affects everyone. And it doesn't matter if it's a disease or it is a doctor's appointment or something, or it's a, I wanna lose five pounds, I wanna put on some muscle, whatever it is. You're right, health is a universal truth. It's true, it's very true. And what I have actually really valued is that, you know, the influencers we've worked with have really wanted to work with our brand and really wanted to tell a story. You know, we're gonna be joined later by Cassie. And she actually reached out to us and said, you know, I have this story of how scoliosis could have impacted my entire life. You know, I'm, I, nobody thought when I got that diagnosis that I would be a race car driver, right? She's like, I wanna tell people that there is hope out there. The same thing with, you know, like Kat Sangano who worked with us. We have so many different people who said, I've gone through something that really impacted my life and I know that it's impacting other people out there. How can I tell my story? And so it's not just that they, you know, wanna tell their story, that they wanna tell their story with us because they feel like it's a really safe environment and that we're gonna allow them to tell their story in a way that they're comfortable with, 
Whereas if you look at, you know, a typical media outlet or a talk show, you can't really control the conversation. You're going to have to ask or answer what's asked of you. And most of the time it's live, right? So it's really nerve wracking for people to tell a health story. But when we do it, we bring them into a really nice, quiet environment. We prep them. We let them meet the expert first or the host and we talk through their story. Then we turn the cameras on. And hey, if you're not happy with the answer, we'll just cut that in the end. And I think that's been really comfortable for people because talking about your health is so personal, right? Especially if you're talking about, uh, you know, like cancer or you're talking about like with Kat Zangano, uh, you know, the completion of a suicide of a loved one. It's very emotional. And so I think giving them a platform to tell the story in that safe environment has been really helpful. How would you describe influencer marketing at a high level? Because you do this at a high level. Yeah, um, you know, I think the thing about influencer marketing is it's really storytelling. It's authentic storytelling. You're just finding people who can tell that story to a group of people that you want to target. So it's not just, you know, telling a story at a high level. It's telling a story that's very unique to a group of people. Um, And I think finding people who have influence over that consumer. So, for example, if you really want to talk about... um, psoriasis, right? So we the, we worked with um, a model on psoriasis. It, it was really like, how do we talk to those people and let them know what these new technologies are and what these new medications are? We'll find somebody that has it that actually people follow her. She has an entire group of people who follow her just because they share a disease, right? Or, or a, 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 you know, have, have psoriasis. So I think it's, it's finding people who can tell a story that resonates with that group of people. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, People have different definitions of influencer marketing. Some people say, oh, it's celebrities telling stories. Some people say, oh, it's trying to sell tickets through this. Nah, it's really just storytelling. Mm -hmm. And that's the main value in it, right, is to spread the message. Oh, absolutely. I think um, it's, it's about being authentic. It's about being relatable. And so we know people require reliable known sources. Think about it. Before you pick a car, you do the research. Before you pick a restaurant, you go to Yelp. So, of course, if you're going to pick a doctor, somebody who's really going to have an impact on your day-to-day life, you want to know that they're legit. You want to know that they're well-received, that they have good reviews. And so if you can get information about a medication or a doctor or a facility um, from somebody that you trust, it's, it's always going to be a better decision for you. So. How would you typically determine if a social influencer campaign is working? How do you measure that success? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think each campaign's different, right? Sometimes you're really just trying to build awareness, like, hey, we have a new center opening in Playa Vista and we want people to know about it. So really it's just, did people show up for the main event? You know, are people actually scheduling an appointment? Um, sometimes you want them to watch a video because it's an informational video and it's really important that that information gets out there. So then it's gonna be, did we get video views, right? Um, I think sometimes it's really fun. It's like, uh, I know you've, you've talked about Circle, the app Circle, and you've talked about Express Care before on other shows. Sometimes it's getting people to download the app and try something. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for that, right, it's did they download the app? Did they install it? Did they use it? So I think it, it really varies. Um, sometimes it's really fun. It's like how many babies showed up for the CPR baby class, right? Like those, those kind of things really vary. Um, but for us, it's really more about was it a positive experience for the influencer? Was it a positive experience for our consumers? How do you pick your influencers? Oh, that's awesome. Um, I think it, it's really, tr- it's funny that you asked me about the entertainment industry because how I pick them for healthcare is very different than how I pick them for video games or shoes, right? Um, but, and every organization really needs to figure out how to pick people that work with their audience and that work with their organization. Um, for us personally, I created a criteria, right? So they have to have a very engaging personality. Seems like a no-brainer, but you never know. Um, a very active social footprint, because I think the thing about influencer marketing is it really needs to pair with social in this day and age. I think that's been the biggest evolution of, of influencer marketing as a whole. Um, they have to post really quality content, right? Like, I don't want my message coming in between 
detox tea right. or other ads, <laughs> other ads. Or, or something that maybe Often. contradicts what they're speaking Absolutely. about. Like you don't want somebody saying, well, I, I'd like to live a healthy lifestyle. Next picture. Here's a Dodger dog. <laughs> like that would be so antithetical to what they're trying true. to show. It's true. You know, it's a really good point too, because people have to be authentic, right? And so we've, we've gone back and forth on a few influencers because maybe they're really well known for smoking a lot of weed, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not really true to who we are as a Catholic healthcare organization. On the flip side, they are living a healthy life in certain areas and they might be really, like Dame Dash is a great example. You know, sometimes if you look at like his Instagram feed, it might not be everything that we would typically do. But on the flip side, this is a man who started a diabetes network out of his own money to educate people on how to live a diabetic lifestyle. Because in his words, it's not a death sentence, right? And so we said, you know what? We're fine with that. We don't care what people see on his Instagram because that's his life and that's who he is. So I think the authenticity part is really important. Um, I also think they have to be relevant to the consumer. And like the psoriasis piece I mentioned, like people follow her for that. Um, they also can't be overly saturated, which we kind of just talked about, but I don't want to be one of 25 brands that you're working with because that doesn't feel real, mm -hmm. right? And I think we've been really clear um, as we work with influencers that it has to be because they want to work with us, not because they want a paycheck. Because in, in all actuality, and I probably shouldn't say this, we don't generally pay people. Um, you know, if, if we're going to ask somebody to do like a really hard thing, like track their entire music tour or something, we might send a videographer, but it's really because these people want to tell the message. And I think that goes back to picking the influencers, which is that they're passionate about doing it and they're passionate about telling the story. I think the only other thing I would say is that um, it's, it's really important that they have a good image. Um, and it doesn't mean that they have to be spotless. It doesn't mean that they have to be like the good person or the good girl, but you know, they do have to live a lifestyle or they do have to have a personality that fits with the mission of our brand because we are a mission-driven organization. And so that has been something that we've been really, really focused on. Who are some of the names, the bigger names that we might recognize that you've worked with in the oh, past? That's, that's awesome. Um, let's see, big names that you'd recognize. Um, Ryan Seacrest. I think everybody recognizes oh, yeah. the name Ryan Seacrest, right? Uh, I would say listeners on Dash, DJ Ski, right? Everybody knows DJ Ski. But we work with like musicians like Christina Milian, Freddie Gibbs, uh, Dizzy Wright. We try to go kind of cross genre. Um, we also work with athletes like Brandon Marshall and Abby Wambach, uh, Jermaine Jones Jr. fairly recently. I'd say, you know, we kind of try to touch on everything. We go um, across spectrum too. So we work with mommy bloggers. We work with fitness experts. Um, it's not just celebrities. It's really influencers in general. And sometimes that might be a YouTube star. It might be um, a, an Instagram story star. So it, it kind of goes cross genre, but we've, we've definitely had some big names. Yeah, it's all about the following, right? As you mentioned, what's sort of the cutoff when you look for someone's following? What are you looking for? Oh, I love that question. I don't get that a lot. I think it's funny because I'm not about the big numbers, right? Like 20 million followers is great, but if your engagement is 0.0004, that doesn't help me. I'd rather right. have somebody who has 10,000 solid followers. So I look less at the numbers and more at the engagement, and I definitely look at the demographic. And that's one of the things that I think is different from, from our organization is we actually need to look at your demographic. I need to know who your followers are. I need to know where they're located. I need to know what gender they are. I need to know what age they are. So you have to be willing to share that with us. And that's a big thing for a lot of influencers, you know? Um, but yeah, so I don't think it's about numbers. I think it's about quality. Yeah, that's right. If you see an influencer who has 200 million followers, but they have 68 likes on a picture, <laughs> They're not real. So I know that you've worked with some pretty amazing people. You've mentioned some big names and also some people that have fabulous engagements. Over the past year, does anyone really stick out to you? Any personal story? Someone who you think of when you think of these successful influencer campaigns? Yeah. Um, you know, everyone we've worked with has been really, really solid. Um, and it, in all honesty, it's hard for me to pick one. I might actually have to pick two. But I'd say the, the one that touched me the most was UFC fighter Kat Zingano. 
um, she sat with us and shared her mental health journey. And, and it's a really strong mental health journey because, and, and it's deep because it started with her husband's completion of suicide. Um, and then the, her mental health struggle that resulted from that, the PTSD of her and her son. Um, and I mean, I actually cried on set. Our clinician cried on set. I know Kat actually had a really rough week following that because it was really cathartic for her. Um, and I think it's just, it was, it was how her, you know, how that whole process escalated her emotional journey um, and how they were both reeling from the trauma. And she really opened up and, and she just shared an array of emotions and, and I just thought it was beautiful. Um, but then on the flip side, I would go a little less emotional. I think Dizzy Wright, which surprised me because, you know, he's, he's a rapper. Um, what he sings about is, is, you know, pretty common. But he really went deep, too. We were talking to him about the fact that he was homeless for a good portion of his childhood. They lived in a car. They lived in shelters. Um, and we were really telling his story to bring awareness to Medicaid and our face as a Medicaid program and how you could get involved. Um, and what was awesome was I, I knew I had found the perfect person because my goal was to really tell people how they could learn more and why Medicaid was so important. And here's Dizzy in the middle of it. He, he stops, he stops the camera, he looks at me and he goes, I'm sorry, I don't understand why anybody would want to cut Medicaid. Like, it's this useful program, everybody needs it, it's ridiculous, it's, it's, it's like a human right. And I was like, uh, that's my campaign. You literally just said my campaign for me without having to have prompting. And so I just knew that I'd found the right person and so I thought that was a really good one. How do you find your spokespeople, your influencers. What is that process like? Can't tell you, that's secret sauce. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, a lot of it is, you know, I come from 20 plus years in the industry now, and so it's relationships I've built over time, people that I've had the pleasure of working with. I have a really solid network of entertainment managers and agents and publicists. Um, sometimes I don't even know. I'll reach out to them and say, hey, does anybody know anybody who has uh, hearing loss? And I'll get uh, people I've never heard of, I'll get new people that are just emerging. So it's really a lot of digging. I mean, it might take me from the time somebody briefs me on a campaign that I need an influencer, it could be anywhere from 24 hours to six weeks to find the right person after we vet them and we make sure that it's, it, you know, it's a good fit. Wow. Well, it's all about the good fit. It's worth it. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Mary. We appreciate it. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to be joined by Kelby. Some people want me to be heads or tails. I say no way, try again another day. I should be happy, not tipping the scales. I just won't play, letting my life get away. I know for now, I'm not a follower. I don't say things as they can if they bring me down. Have some 
Kelby, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Wonderful to have you. Glad to be here. So tell us about your role at PSJH. How would you describe it? Um, it's a mix. Um, I joined um, a couple years ago really as the, the content director and building strategies for getting better at how to use editorial planning and how to use blogs and uh, tying that into different channels like email and social and um, spent an entire year building the blog, uh, basically, and worked closely with Mary and her influencer team to um, create content that showcased the value of thinking about wellness in different ways. Um, obviously, the clinical nature to this stuff that we do and the content that we build. And so really, that was my, my first year. And then it's evolved to more of um, thinking about, you know, the user experience, the consumer experience, and how do we how can we bring um, the Amazon, the Netflix, the Spotify kind of expectations of consumers to healthcare? Because that's a personal experience that we have with some of those brands. And health is probably the most personal brand. And <clears throat> we and many in our industry haven't even scratched the surface with doing that. And so that's kind of my, my current focus is really how to personalize content and user journeys online to get people to the healthcare that they need when they need it. And in your opinion, how would you describe what makes engaging content? It's very subjective. Um, you know, I think it depends on um, how how you tar- who you're targeting to, who you're trying to talk to, who you're trying to engage. Um, and you know, if you think about like the the generational split, you know, the boomers have a vastly different um, perspective on healthcare needs than the millennials, mm-hmm. who really just don't don't see value in having a primary care doctor. Whereas the boomers or even Gen Xers like myself absolutely see value in that. And so it's you know c- trying to figure out how do you angle your content in a way to say to millennials, we need to educate you on the value of taking care of yourself and getting in front of health, health issues before they become a crisis. And then, for instance, with the Gen Xers, how can we help them prepare their, for their uh, sandwich generation? You know, they have to take care of themselves, they have to take care of their, their kids, and they have to take care of their aging parents. And so um, the value of good content is really about knowing who you're talking to, focusing in on an audience or two, having a content tilt, if you will, mm-hmm. that is your sweet spot for us. That means how do we simplify healthcare? How do we make it easy? How do we educate you in ways that will resonate with you and get you to act? Now, similar to Mary, you come from more of a technological and entertainment space and a background. So how is your role different with PSJH than, say, the other sort of jobs that you are working on with other organizations? And I would imagine that the content changes a little bit because a lot of people don't associate entertainment content, influencer content with healthcare. Mm-mm. No, it, it, it's vastly different. And um, that's what I think keeps me and Mary here and very challenged is the, the fact that it is so different. And instead of, you know, building narratives and content, whether it's influencers or other, um, for a brand and driving a bottom line, we're actually doing something meaningful. Um, I believe, I want to believe that. That's what gets me out of bed every day. Um, you know, we're helping people, genuinely helping people find care, whether that is, um, in marketing terms, an upper, upper funnel blog. They read something, they're inspired, they may go look at a doctor, they may go look at a location, they may actually schedule an appointment. And so helping them create pathways to get the care they need, the prevention they need, and the care they need when a crisis has hit them, um, that's, it's, it's more meaningful, I guess, is in, in one word. What kind of content would you say that people are looking for when it comes to healthcare? <clears throat> Helpful tips, tricks, stories that resonate with them. That's where the, the stuff that uh, the content that Mary and I partnered with um, over the last couple of years has really been impactful. Some of the, the influencers that she was able to connect with, with Michael Flowers and Kat Zanzano and others, they were telling their story about suicide, about, um, you know, psoriasis and, and all these things. That is something that, you know, 
uh, people that have that condition or that affliction can really um, relate to. And so I think that's the, that's the real value of finding ways to work with people that have stories. And that's really the magic is how can you tell a story that will touch somebody's heart, touch somebody's mind and get them to um, associate with that. And ideally, you know, at the end of the day, our mission is to um, take care of the poor and vulnerable. And quite candidly, we can't do that unless we fill the funnel with people that can afford healthcare. And so, um, you know, finding those stories for people that don't have, uh, may have an issue or may not have an issue, but getting them in, to, in, in the prevention mindset through these stories, that's where, you know, we can consistently and, and ongoing fill our mission. And so, you know, it's really about the stories that resonate um, with people in a variety of different contexts. Mm -hmm. And speaking of resonating and also to touch on something you mentioned um, just a few minutes ago, as far as customizing the content so that it's relevant to the age group or the demographic, you mentioned millennials versus Gen Xers versus the baby boomers. I mean, those are all very different, um, different generations who need and consume information and entertainment and content completely differently. So how important is customization and personalization when it comes to delivering content to different demographics, different age brackets? Um, a candid answer? I don't know yet. I genuinely don't know. We are in the process, like I mentioned, of pursuing that. Um, I, I firmly believe, uh, having done a bunch of research in this area, that um, you know, we, are, we have been trained to expect top recommended for you, songs you may like, movies you may like, people also bought. You know, those are things that Amazon, Spotify, Netflix have, have trained our minds to expect. And, you know, every research from Gartner to stuff that we're fielding um, internally is there's an expectation of personalization. Matter of fact, um, data suggests that brands that personalize um, uh, uh, their content and their experience online or off, they see, you know, a 50%, 30 to 50% ROI. On that more than if they didn't do that. And so, um, you know, taking those learnings and those signals from these other industries um, to then bring it into healthcare, like I said, the most personal of all engagements uh, or all industries, um, is, is something that we're, we're definitely experimenting with. And that's one of the things that, that my job is. We are, it's, it's, it's always experimentation. It's, we're trial and error. We're trying this, this, this call to action, this color, this image, that image, and trying to figure out what will resonate with a boomer audience, what will resonate with a millennial audience, what will resonate with a Gen X audience. And so it's really about experimentation to figure out what is that optimal mix across different channels to get people to, to raise their hand and say, I want to I be a patient of Providence or Swedish or any one of our brands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I bet you have a lot of I don't want to say competition, but there's a lot of noise in the healthcare space when it comes to people searching on Google or on WebMD. So how do you stand out versus those other sites? You nailed it. Um, you're, you're right. It's uh, quite candidly, Google is eating our lunch when it comes to digital. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can go on Google and find um, a listing for a phone number. Um, a uh, you can actually schedule an appointment through a Google list. On, on the side rail. You can um, um, find a doctor right there. You can get your overview, you can validate through WebMD or Google that I do have strep throat. This is exactly what I'm feeling. So that notion of, of trying to compete with existing um, outlets where people go to and trust, it's super hard. And you know, 90% of people that come to our web properties today are coming to transact. And what that means is they're coming to get a call, they're finding a location, they're validating a doctor, they're scheduling an appointment, or they're checking their bill or paying their bill online. Those are all very transactions, very utility centric. And as a brand like us, we haven't yet gained the permission to do something different. And so we have to lean into that and we are leaning into that notion of utility. 
so that we can earn the trust of these people and become more of a health partner versus just a transaction partner, if that makes sense. And so that's kind of the vision of, of how we're, we're, we're experimenting. That's our, that's our lens through which we're using these experimentations to uh, figure out how to, how to move from just utility to the trust factor. And it's going to take time, um, but that is really kind of how we're trying to stand out. And unlike WebMD or Google, they show these conditions. I have this. Here's how I treat it. We want to focus on our specialties and our procedures. So we're building a new uh, web experience for our SoCal market, Southern California market. And instead of focusing on and building a bunch of stuff about strep throat and UTIs and on and on and on, we're focusing on the procedures that we know that are different in our system. And so that's, that's also an angle, you know, the utility to trust and focusing on procedures versus just conditions. So showing them um, solutions versus just, yes, you have this. Those are two angles of differentiation that we're trying to pursue. Mm-hmm. So then how do you typically determine which content programs are working? How do you determine that success? Is it engagement? Is it clicks? Is it likes? Um, it's uh, all of those. Um, but, you know, those are fairly vanity. Um, really, the, the, uh, we live, my digital team uh, lives in a data-driven world. Um, uh, not quite literally, not one person on my digital experience team is from healthcare. Um, we come from Amazon, T-Mobile, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, and others in tech and even retail. And so we're bringing that lens of what we know works into the, the healthcare space. And so I say that all of us are looking at data every single day. I probably spent 60% of my time in Google Analytics and Web Analytics and looking at what's happening. How are new users coming to our site? What are they doing versus return users? What are the age? What are the demographics? Are women acting differently? Are age groups acting differently when they hit our sites? And so looking at those pathways of how people traverse our sites from wherever they come, be it an ad, be it an email, be it a social post, um, you know, understanding that, then we can use those insights to create some hypotheses that we test against. And once we have um, a test that has proven that will drive the preferred action that we think the consumers want and what they've told us they want, then we scale that out across all of our different brand properties online. And so it's really, it's really data, data, data. And you're right, some of those things, the, the, a good quality metric of content is do people share it? Do people comment on it? And, you know, that was where our partnership with, that's where our partnership with uh, social really comes into play. Similarly with email, if people are clicking on um, the, the articles that we're pushing out there, then we're winning. If people are visiting our, our blogs and our, our web website just in general more frequently, then we're showing value. And so those, those are all the kind of the data points that we look at. And tell me about your experience working with Michael. Um, we're going to have him here on the show as one of our special guests for this episode, Michael Flowers Jr. What was your experience like working with him? Uh, he's just awesome, first and foremost. But the whole idea, you know, Mary and I, are we share this affinity or um, uh, problem of always thinking big and what can we do differently? How can we, how can we do this better, smarter, faster? And one of the things that we had talked about a couple of years ago was how, you know, healthcare doesn't have to be drab and, and, and um uh, doesn't have to be painful all the time, if you will. I think that's the right choice of words. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were thinking about how can we add um, humor into some of the narratives that we have? Obviously, health, mental health is not a, a space for humor. Cancer is probably not. There are certain elements of healthcare that you just can't touch with that. But when you think about arthritis, maybe you think about um, uh, elements of skin cancer, like SPF, you think about uh, diet, diets and nutrition. Those are all territories that you can experiment with, with humor and, um, we partnered with Michael and, and uh, Lisa uh, for this 
program called Health Mythbusters. Um, and it, it, I loved the videos. They turned out very well. Uh, we got a decent clip on them. We didn't have much spend, so we didn't promote them as, as much as I think Mary and I would have liked. But they, the, the initiative proved that, yes, we can add infuse humor into healthcare narratives in ways that will resonate with people. And Michael was uh, critical in that. Some of his videos, if you haven't seen them and we can send them later, um, were really hysterical. That's awesome. Well, I'm sure it is always a difficult sort of transition when you're coming from, you know, entertainment and and retail, and then all of a sudden you're working with healthcare, and you do have to be conscious of certain mm-hmm. things and and sensitive as well. But you guys are doing a wonderful job. So thank you so much for joining us and for explaining your role and for diving in to content and influencer marketing. We appreciate it. Absolutely. This has been fun. Thank you for the opportunity. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kelby. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll be joined by a special guest. Stay tuned. I've been having dreams Jumping on a trampoline Flipping in the air I never land just float there As I'm looking up Suddenly the sky erupts Flames and the trees spread to fallen leaves Now they're
Welcome back to Future of Health with Providence St. Joseph Health here on Dash Radio. I'm Julie Alexandria, and today our topic, we are talking about using social media and influencer marketing to tell the healthcare story. So now we're joined by our special guest. He's actor and comedian, stand-up comedian, Michael Flowers Jr. Welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, thank you. Um, I'm doing well this morning. Fantastic. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, okay, so I moved to L.A. from Maryland um, with uh, $950 in my hand. I don't know what I was thinking, but that's what I did. Um, um, I um, started out as an actor and uh, went to a bunch of auditions, got some parts, lost some parts. Then I realized that um, that my car was going to need some, some more gas to get around, so I was going to need a little bit more money. And so I started creating projects. I started writing and then started producing, and um, eventually that led me to producing like uh, commercials uh, for Gatorade, JBL, and um, recently I did a show called Heaven Sent. Um, I EP'd a show called Heaven Sent. It was on Fox um, a couple years ago. Um, um, I love salsa dancing. Um, I know I'm crazy, <laughs> and I love <laughs> I, lo- I love just being out in in in. Uh, and just having fun. Um, I, I call myself the ultimate fun ever. So that's a little bit about me. Well, first of all, congratulations on making the jump from being a struggling actor to becoming an EP. That's an executive producer for those who don't know. So that is quite an accomplishment. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. And thank you. tell me about your work with PSJH and the Wellbeing Trust. Um, well, I've, I've worked with them as an influencer. A lot, lot of fun. Um, I work with them as an influencer and a content creator. And as an actor, um, dealing with some important issues. So um, they used me to, you know, bring, bring, bring light on uh, some serious issues. What were some of those issues? Can you go into it? Um, if I can remember correctly, one was prostate cancer. <laughs> another was um, uh, incontinence. Oh, so how do you make those topics engaging? You're a producer. I'm, That's a tough job. <laughs> right. Um, I can't use my producer skills to bring life. You know, it's, you know, it's all about um, finding a way to bring your funny to uh, a very serious situation. You know what I mean? To, mm-hmm. to um, I guess, make people uh, listen. Right? Because of course. If you, um, because I think, I think if you want to engage your audience, I think that um, people listen when they're ready to listen because, uh, you know, dudes, they don't want to go to go to the doctor for prostate cancer. You know, if, if they think they have something wrong, they do not want to go to the, to the hospital. So I think if, uh, for an example, I think if two people are sitting at the table and they're arguing, nobody wants to hear each other. But if we're sitting down and we're having a rational discussion, that's when listening starts. But then if, can you laugh you're in a position where you're like i really want to hear what this guy's saying so i think that will help the guys get off the couch and say you know what i'm gonna go to the hospital i'm gonna see what's going on with my body Mm -hmm. why do you think that storytelling through influencers is so important um well for whatever reason people uh listen to social media you know they make uh we, we make a lot of decisions based upon what we, what we consume, right? Mm-hmm. So where it puts the influencer in the position of an expert. Uh, so that means I'm an expert, Julie. Um, I can tell. 
<laughs> no, but 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 specifically, like how, how important has Yelp became to people that are looking for a good restaurant or you know uh, they're looking for a good time? You know, if I'm looking for a salsa club, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to see. I want to go online and see what's what's what are people saying about the salsa club, and I'm going to make a decision off of that. Right. So, I, I think um, I think. Uh, Sure, there's like a certain level of authenticity when you're talking yeah. to someone versus an actor, which certain actors might say the influencers are taking our jobs. But when you are an audience member and when you're consuming the content, I would rather be told, especially when it comes to healthcare, I'd rather be told right. something that's an authentic story from someone who has had experience with it, whether they be a celebrity or not, versus someone who's basically just getting paid. I think we can agree on that. Right, right, right. Because, yeah, that will make me want to, Go get checked out if I'm if I'm hearing somebody that's either making me laugh or somebody like you said somebody that um, has an experience and mm-hmm. they and they're coming from an authentic place. That makes sense. So tell us how you use humor. I mean, I know you just gave an example of the the prostate check, but how do you use humor? Because you're also a stand up comedian and you're a producer, so you come from the best of both worlds. How do you deliver that useful information when it comes to healthcare? Because that could be serious information. So how do you deliver that in an engaging, fun, and humorous way? Is that challenging? Um, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they gave me the task at, at trying to make, you know, prostate or prostate cancer funny or to make, um, you know, incontinence funny. Um, so it, it is very difficult, but, but, but again, it does, so the, the question was, how do you make it funny? Yeah. Oof. How do you make hard. that funny? That sounds, both sound terrible. <laughs> right, right. But like I was saying earlier, like like nobody wants to be told, you know, guys don't want, you know, to be told, to, to be given direction. Guys don't want right. to go to the hospital. So you do have to try to find a way to to, to make it funny. Well, what's um, been the response? What, what do people say when, you know, when they see your content, they view it? Okay, um, I um, I remember going to a club and I didn't know this guy. I knew him from social media. I knew him from from movies, but I didn't I didn't know him. And he came right up to me and he said, "Flowers, I like what you're doing, man. I see what you're doing, and then, and we really need that out there." So I do see the positive effect that it's having. You know what I mean? That where where people see the content and they're saying it's making a difference. You know, if it's not it's not making a difference directly in their lives. They they understand, you know, what um what what Providence and what Well Being Trust is doing. Mm-hmm. Well, and that leads me to my next question: Is why is it so important to you? Why was the Well Being Trust Be Well Challenge and the PSA so important to you? Well, um, I love I, I love being in a in a position where I'm I'm making a difference. Um, um, I love making people laugh. Um, you know, I love making people think, right? Um, I'm also a content creator and that is, you know, what I try to put forth, you know, in my work, you know, I love making people laugh and I love, you know, trying to make a difference in, you know, in people's lives. And so that's, that's one of the ways, um, that's one of the reasons why I, I love working with them. And, um, you know, because I think on the well-being trust, um, I, my uh, my job was to talk about, you know, why laughter was important, 
right? And it's important because it does, it's, it's proven that it reduces stress. So if I could find a way to reduce people's stress out there, hey, I'm all for it. How gratifying is it to create meaningful content? I mean, there's so much noise out there, but when you're doing something that is for the greater good, how, how great does that feel? Oh, it feels great. It, it feels great just to know that you're, you know, that, that you are out there making a difference. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, even if you got one gentleman to go see his doctor or if you changed one person's mind yeah. about just sort of a preconceived notion about a disease or, or a disability or something like that. It, it really, it's so gratifying, right? Yeah, it really is. It really is. Awesome. Well, we appreciate all the wonderful work that you're doing and congratulations again on being a success story here in Hollywood because it is not easy. Michael Flowers Jr., thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back here on Dash Radio, we're going to hear from pro race car driver Cassie Gannis. Stay with us. Welcome back to Future of Health here on Dash Radio. I'm Julie Alexandria, and today our topic is influencer marketing to tell the healthcare story. And now it's my pleasure. We are being joined by special guest. She is a pro NASCAR driver. Please welcome to the show, Cassie Gannis. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So I want you to rewind. Tell us from the beginning, tell us about your healthcare journey and why you chose to share it with PSJH. Yeah, I've had a lot of uh, healthcare issues growing up. I mean, starting out at the beginning, I've always had asthma, which was a struggle. Um, dealing with that, being a swimmer, trying to get active that way, and then racing. And then while I was swimming, I got diagnosed with scoliosis, which is the curvature of the spine. And that kind of really took me back because reading into it, you have a lot of issues a lot of you can't do this you can't do that after surgery and they really limit you and I just wanted to get everything out there that just because you have asthma or scoliosis or whatever the case may be that's not something that's going to hold you back and it's not something that it's using against you. Yeah I mean you've really overcome so much I, I read that you overcame everything from allergies to asthma and dyslexia, and then eventually the scoliosis diagnosis in which you had a few surgeries, that's a lot. And and that is a lot to interfere with race car driving, I would imagine. How did you overcome those challenges? Yeah, it, it's definitely really hard being in racing. I mean, even now I still have 
issues with breathing sometimes when I'm racing just because the heat and all the dust and it's something you just gotta push through luckily my asthma is really controlled now and it doesn't affect me whatsoever when I'm in the car um and my scoliosis the only thing I can't do now is a backflip which I could never do it anyway <laughs> so I mean <laughs> that's not going to limit me in racing at all and I have a custom-made seat that fits me so if I do get in an accident I am fully protected mm-hmm. how often are you racing now I race about once a month. Wow. And are you, are you traveling to different races and, and competing? Yeah, I go down to uh, Tucson Speedway a lot, as well as Vegas at the Bullring, and then as well as California. Wow, that's incredible. Are you mostly competing against guys? Yep, I'm mostly competing against guys. There's maybe one or two females that are at the track racing as well, but it's majority guys. What's the reaction when you show up? I mean, I know by now they know who you are, so they've come to expect it, but I would imagine that being one of the few women on the track is is an interesting experience in itself. It definitely is an experience. Um, I mean, growing up, it was definitely a challenge. People would always say that I should be on the sidelines cheering and making a sandwich or getting somebody a sandwich, and now it's not even like that. They know who I am, what I'm there to do. And when somebody tells me, they're like, oh, are you a uh, driver's girlfriend? And I'm like, "Uh, no, I am the driver, but thanks. (laughs) Ha, mic drop. No, I am the driver. Thank you very much. Good for you. What drove you to tell your personal healthcare story? What made you want to put it out there? I just wanted to get it out there because a lot of people with, I mean, just with scoliosis alone, they think it's something that's going to take them away from doing what they love to do and it's something where it's not as long as you overcome it and determine that you are going to be fine do whatever you want to do you can do it I mean I've talked to so many people since my story have come out saying that they used to be a swimmer they're not going to be able to swim anymore or do gymnastics whatever the case may be and I just tell them that they just have to push through it if somebody tells you no that they're going to do it no matter what. Anyways, this is not something that is going to hold you back. Do you feel a certain responsibility to tell your story since you have been so successful in overcoming so much and so successful in your driving career that you feel that you want to sort of impart that triumph to others? I don't think it's a responsibility. It's just something I want to do because this is something that I had to go through. So I want people to know that I didn't let this bring me down, so it shouldn't let them either. And they they should push through it too. Mm-hmm. What made you want to partner with PSJH? What what was it about PSJH that made you want to tell your story? They just seem like such a, a great organization. And I saw all the stories that were coming out with them. And I thought this was a great opportunity to get my story out there and show people that I race cars. I'm in a dangerous and I can do this so you can too so that's why I wanted to get it out there because you hear all these stories on there and I just thought it was a great opportunity to to put my story out there as well yeah what was the response how was it received oh it's been so great I've had so many um parents of younger kids as well as adults messaging me on Facebook and Twitter I have emails all the time now asking me for advice 
going through surgery, what it was like going through through it. And from when I had my surgery, it was it was a lot different. I mean, I was in the hospital for a week. Now it's basically like an outpatient procedure where you're now in a couple days. Um, so it's definitely a lot different now. But I just want to keep telling people just to do it because a lot of people are scared through the process of it because you go to the doctors and they tell you all this stuff that may or may not happen and the recovery process. And it's really scary. And when I got told, I think I was like 14 or 13 years old about all this stuff that you may be paralyzed because you're moving the spine. It kind of puts you like, I don't want to do this. This is, this is, that's going to happen to me. And it's something where this will help you out. And this is, this is not going to define, define you later on down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your surgery was, was no minor thing. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but in order to, I guess, correct the spinal column, you have two titanium rods fusing 12 thoracic vertebra together. Is that true? Correct. Yeah, it's um, two rods on each side of your spine. They are connected to hooks. So basically what they have to do, they have to go in and physically move your spine over. And even before surgery, I was kind of laughing because I was nervous, but they hook you up to all these little sensors so you look like a little robot, like every single one on your fingertips, on your head, all over your body, because if one nerve moved the wrong way, they would stop. So that kind of made me laugh a little bit and made me feel better. But it's it's definitely a very, very intense surgery. Yeah, was there ever a moment that you thought you would never race again? I definitely did. When I was laying in the hospital bed, even after when I woke up, I thought I wasn't going to race because I could barely move, just trying to get up and down, all that stuff. Even a couple months after surgery, I thought that I was never going to be in the car. And then I said, why am I letting this tell me no? I can't do that. So I really buckled down and went through physical therapy. And my doctor said, it should at least be a year before I even set foot in the car. And I was in a car, I think, nine months after my surgery. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, I believe I was 14 or 15. Wow. And your parents yeah. supported you going right back in. Oh, yeah. My dad was one of those people where he kept telling me that I should not be telling myself that I cannot get back in the car, that you can you can do this. You are going to be back in the car. This is what you love to do. Wow. And fast forward now, you are a full-time veterinary technician. Yep. Yeah, How... I do that full-time. Uh, I love it. Something that I wanted to do, too. I wanted to race, and I wanted to work with animals. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, what made you want to work with animals, and, and, and almost in a healthcare way, but just with animals? Yeah, no, I've always grown up with animals. I've always had a love and a passion for animals. I always grew up rescuing animals, taking animals off the street, taking care of them. And I figured if I couldn't race anymore, this is the next best thing that I wanted to do. So it's what I went in and did. And I absolutely love it. That's awesome. Why do you think it's so important for people of influence like yourself to use your voice and to tell your story and to really get your message out there? in an engaging way like this? Yeah, because you see all these people, um, like celebrities and people on Instagram, Facebook, 
going through all this stuff and you realize that they're real people too and they're going through the exact same struggle I'm going through. So you kind of look up to them in a way that they're going through this so I can get through it too. So it's definitely definitely good for people to tell their stories and get it out there of their struggles of what they went through, through surgery, through recovery, and even after the process too. It's not something that's going to hold you back. Mm-hmm. What, what is your message to anyone going through something similar who may be listening? Uh, definitely don't let anything hold you back, whether it's whatever you're going through, don't let it hold you back. Don't tell somebody or don't let anybody tell you that you can't do something after surgery or after whatever process that you can't do what you love anymore. No, you can still do it. You just have to overcome mentally and physically that you can do this. I like it. It's a great message. Thank you so much, Cassie. We appreciate you coming on the show and for sharing your journey so much. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. All right. We're going to take a quick break, but we will be back momentarily. You're listening to Dash Radio. It never fades away. It's staying. Your kiss like broken glass on my skin. And all the greatest loves and in violence is tearing up my voice left in silence. Baby, it hits so hard. I'm holding on to my chest. Maybe you left your mark. Reminding me to forget. It doesn't matter where you are. You can keep my regret. Baby, I got these scars. Reminding me to forget. Reminding me I got these scars to get your love. Keep reminding me, oh, to get your love. You left your faith. You left your mind. You left your faith. You left your Welcome back to Future of Health with Providence St. Joseph Health. We're continuing the conversation about influencer marketing and why it's so important to tell the healthcare story. So we just heard from professional NASCAR driver Cassie Gannis and her her amazing journey and also how she uses her voice to influence others in such an amazing way. So I just had one more question for Mary, who's in studio with us here. Mary, why is influence influencer marketing so important when it comes to the healthcare industry? Yeah, thanks, Julie. Um, you know, I think Providence St. Joseph Health and a lot of healthcare organizations have done a really good job for many years in reaching kind of a broad audience, um, but it's been very traditional. Um, and targeting key segments like millennials and techies and young moms, it's really been a challenge. Um, so when you go into spaces like social um, into influencer networks where you can really hone in on who someone is and what they're interested in, where their passions are, it really allows you to create content um, and messaging that's meaningful to them. So I think with healthcare specifically, it's so critical that, that, message, that the message that you're delivering is really relevant and authentic. And there's no better way to do that than through influencer marketing, in my opinion. Um, and I think when I say relevant, it's because healthcare isn't a one-size-fits-all. 
right? So the millennial, the new parent, or an older parent who's taking care of their aging parent, they all have different needs, right? They all have different um, points of view as to what healthcare is and how it really impacts them and their family. Um, and so I think the relevancy is key. I think that's what influencer marketing really brings to healthcare that they typically haven't had. It also, for me, it's, it's about the relatability factor. I think an influencer speaking on behalf of our organization needs to really hit home with the audience that we're trying to talk to. So for example, um, a 50-year-old physician talking about vaping, <laughs> it might be relatable to a 45-plus age, right? The parents um, of that teenager, but it's not going to be as effective as when you're trying to talk to the teen or tween and you're trying to dissuade them from getting into vaping. So for example, in that one, we worked with um, a music artist called Lil Nico. And he's in the national tobacco free um, campaign. And he, he, you know, he came in and he did this really great piece on why vaping was bad and how he was seeing millennials and teens doing it and how they really needed to think about the repercussions. And we saw in his social feed when he posted that all of these teens and tweens saying, oh, I'm so glad you said that. I feel like I have to do it because my friends are doing it. I don't know if it's dangerous or not. Thank you for sharing that information. Had we done that from that 50 plus year old white, you know, white haired doc with the, the white jacket, I don't think anybody would have received that in that demographic. So for me, it's about really finding the people who are relatable, who can help get the message to the right people and make them feel like that message was relevant to them and it wasn't forced down our throat. Yeah, you just mentioned some key buzzwords, I think relatable, authenticity, and relevant. Absolutely, those are the three. That's what it all comes down to. All right. Well, Mary Renoff, thank you so much for being here. Thank you to all of our guests today. Thank you, Kelby, Michael, and Cassie for joining us today. And thank you everyone for listening as well. We always appreciate it. And we look forward to a future topic with more experts from Providence St. Joseph Health. So make sure to follow us, Providence St. Joseph Health, on social media. That's at PSJH on Twitter and on Instagram and Providence St. Joseph Health on Facebook. I'm Julie Alexandria. Thanks so much for listening. Oh,